jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. Arts and culture. And now, cover girl. This is Under the Covers with Claire Connors on jasoncharles.net Welcome to the debut episode of Under the Covers with Claire Connors. That's me on jasoncharles.net. This is an in-depth dive into the print industry and what's left of it, where we'll meet the creative people behind the making of the glossy magazine covers we all know and love. We'll be talking to my fellow celebrity bookers, photographers, creative directors, writers, beauty editors, stylists, all of the folks who work behind the scenes of the making of a gorgeous cover image. Over the next episodes, we'll look at the history of magazines. But today I have as my special guest, Zach Wojner, a five-year magazine vet who's going to talk to me about my professional background and my two favorite magazine covers of all time, including the first one I ever booked. Hello, Zach. Hey, Claire Connors. Can you give me a little bit of the background of your working in the magazine industry? Well, everything that uh, anyone needs to know about me is I do what you do, but not as well and not as fast. You taught me everything that I know, definitely not everything that you know. Almost every job that I've gotten in this industry, directly or indirectly, I owe entirely to you, your uh, tutelage and influence You know, you're my idol. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) You have been a great protege, I would say. But let's talk about how when I have guests on the show, I want to ask them about what their favorite magazine cover is of all their covers. And But I'd love to know, how did you, besides me, how did you get into the business? Or what made you interested in it? Well, I'm I'm a big video game guy. You know, my first magazine was Game Informer. I got it when I was nine years old. Um, right before they had a really big redesign, so my first couple of issues were uh, an old redesign. I remember the covers, like the back of my hand, Dino Crisis 2, Final Fantasy Nine, two classics, which is funny because I didn't play Final Fantasy Nine until many, many years later, but I read all about it in that magazine. And that was back in like the 90s when those game magazines were a lot more punk rock than they are now. Like Because the industry has gotten so big, they have to be a lot more... Uh, formal might be a strong word, but they're a little more by the book. They were kind of like fanzines, right? They were like fanzines. They were they were more sassy than Seventeen. Uh, although because it was like that kind of youth culture, it was even more like Mad Magazine. Like they'd have entire pages and pages features on random, silly, uh, comedic bits. Like they had an editor, uh, Paul Anderson, who ran for president in 2000. The dirty secret, though, about Game Informer is that it's one of the biggest magazines in the world. It is now. Although they recently uh, had some really, really devastating cuts. Mm. You know, a lot of people who I know because I got to live my dream in 2017 when I got to be an intern there. And the whole thing about video games going from physical to digital, Mm. you know, basically it cut into a lot of their bottom line. Eight of their editors, some of whom had been there for a decade or more, all got the axe. You know, even one of the biggest magazines in the world uh, is falling victim to what's happening across the industry. So many magazines are 
cutting their costs any way they can. That usually means cutting people. When you were working there, were you involved in any way with the covers? Did you know what was going to be going on the cover when you were there? No. What's interesting about that is that they kept us on the ground floor and the main editors were on the next floor up. So there was some stuff that they had up there that they couldn't Mm -hmm. show us because it was like, yeah, you're interns, but uh, mm, we don't want to risk you seeing something and tweeting about it. But uh, we weren't privy to every single thing, but we did get a lot of access. So you remember seeing those early covers when you were nine, did you say? I, I saw those early covers when I was nine. And when I was at the, uh, the, when I was doing the internship, almost every day, when I'd have a little downtime, you know, when, when I was free to go, uh, I would go into the back room where they had just an archive of literally almost every single issue that they'd ever done, 300 at that point. And I would take an old one from before my time, like the mid-90s, and I would just read it cover to cover, and it was just this time capsule, and it's one of the highlights of my time there. Um, what magazines do you like to look at now? You know, it's funny, because they don't have the magazines that I looked at, you know, because there used to be a whole industry of just gaming magazines. Mm. Uh, but, you know, one by one, they all closed down, except for Game Informer, and that's not even on newsstands, it's subscriber only. But um, you know a little bit about me, but you are the host of this show, this under the covers with Claire Connors. So I think we need to learn a little bit about you. Okay. So uh, magazines, huh? <laughs> What's the deal with that? I come from a magazine family. My dad was a journalist. Well, he started as a newspaper man. Uh, my grandfather owned the Knickerbocker Times in Albany, New York, and his girlfriend was my grandmother. She was an illustrator there, and they met and fell in love, and my dad was was born. And so he had newspaper ink in his blood, basically. And when he got out of the um, Marines, he went to school. Actually, I don't even know what he got his degree in, but he ended up being a writer. And we moved to Richmond, Virginia, which is where I was born, and he worked at the Richmond paper there. And both of my sisters went into becoming newspaper women. And I was the black sheep of the family and decided, no, I'm not going to be a writer. I'm not going to work at newspapers or magazines. And I went into design and got my degree in design and thought I would end up being a magazine designer of some kind. I knew I was going to stay in the business. But eventually, the bug bit me, and I knew I could make a living. So I moved to New York City, and I got my first job at Seventeen Magazine. And I was what a, year? What year is this? That was nineteen eighty six. And by nineteen eighty seven, I became the entertainment editor of Seventeen. And the job of the entertainment editor in the old days was to book the covers for every issue, and my job was to book. The hot, up-and-coming, you know, performers of the time. Um, My very first booking was an inside story, and it was with Johnny Depp. And um, I always joke that I lost my virginity to Johnny Depp because I had never done anything like that before. And he showed up for a photo shoot that we were doing called Hollywood Shuffle. It was all the young actors that were on television at the time, and Johnny was on this little show called 21 Jump Street. And he walked in and I had no idea who he was because I didn't watch the show. 
And I remember seeing him walk in and going, Hamana, Hamana, Hamana. He was so handsome, incredibly charming, completely warmed up to me in, in the nicest way. And as I was interviewing him, I realized that um, I was falling in love with him, basically. And at one point, I was asking him a question. I kept stumbling over the question. And he took his hand and put it on top of mine. And he said, would you like to take a little break? And I was like, yes, that would be a very good idea, Johnny. So that was my introduction to being a celebrity booker. And my very first cover was about a year and a half later um, with his young fiance Winona Ryder. I scooped everybody by getting Winona. I have no idea how it even happened because I wasn't a professional booker at that point. I was just calling up and saying, hey, would you like to have Winona be on the cover? Talking to her publicist. And it just ended up working out. So my very first cover was Winona Ryder. And it's still an iconic cover. If you you Google Winona Ryder covers, it's one of the ones that show up. She was very cute. I want to go back a second. You you glossed over a little bit how you got in. Mm. And I mean, a lot of people today, you know, they want to know how to get in. You know, it's a, interesting because it's a dying industry, some would say, but still one that carries so much prestige. How did you get into Seventeen? That was your first writing gig. What did you do? It wasn't my exact first writing gig. I started writing in high school and I wrote for the newspaper. Then when I moved on to the University of Minnesota, the daily paper there called the Minnesota Daily. And I tried out to be a writer. And the woman that was vetting everyone just didn't see any talent in me whatsoever. I was probably trying to be clever. So I ended up working in the production department and creating the look of the magazine, which I think is why I began to think about design as a profession as opposed to a writer. But when I decided to move to New York, I sent a postcard to the editor of The Village Voice, and I sent a very clever note to her, impressing her that I wanted to work for The Village Voice. And she responded back right away and said, if you move to New York, you can write for me. It was one of those kind of moments that never really happened nowadays especially. So I packed up my bags and I had about $1,000 in my pocket and I moved to New York. And my first trip was to the Village Voice and the editor, Mary Peacock, I will never forget her. She gave me my first big break and paid me $25 a column. And I started writing for the V section there. And that, I'm telling you, When I moved to New York, the Village Voice was so popular that people would line up at one in the morning outside of newsstands waiting for the next issue to come out. It was crazy, mostly because of the personals and for um, apartment hunting. That's where everyone put their ads in. But it was a huge circulation. And um, that's where I got my start. So once I started sending out copies of my pieces to editors, boom, the, the voice in. And so going to 17, I applied as, for, as a copywriting job, and they, they hired me. It was that easy. <laughs> and uh, The Voice, I believe, just closed down, right? The Voice, about a year ago. So where would people go now? What is The Voice of 2019? The internet, I guess. I don't think that there are weekly little papers like that left anymore except um, like little community newspapers 
and you know things like you know the the pennywise that kind of thing so i think that people can get that but that's not where you're getting your news these days there are, people are just looking at their phones and getting their news that way yeah and i wish that the people writing on entry level websites were getting 25 dollars a column <laughs> um not even adjusted for inflation boy oh boy that's a whole other thing yeah but um one of the reasons i'm so excited that you have this show mm-hmm. is Every time you introduce yourself as a booker for whatever magazine you happen to be working at at the time, and I am there, I go off. And you're like, men's fitness, sassy, 17, shape, women's health, etc., etc. Just give us a rundown of every place that you, every magazine, huge magazine. Look at you, Claire Connors. It's embarrassing because I've worked at so many magazines that are now closed. That's what's the sad part. Last woman standing. One of the reasons that I think this is an important show is to talk about the the love of print media. And it's still there. It's really important. Talk to any publicist. Talk to um, anyone that works in the movie industry, the television industry. Print is king or queen, depending on how you want to look at it. I think it's queen. And the reason that magazines are still so important is that tangibility or having a tangible piece of a book or a magazine or a newspaper in your hand is still um, part of the experience of reading. And looking at a magazine on your phone is I mean, it's fine. I I read Vanity Fair. I actually read Vanity Fair online because I, I don't really go to Vanity Fair for the photographs. But a fashion magazine or a beauty magazine, you want to see. And, and I'm telling you, when you look at a cover of a magazine on, you know, a five by seven screen with a bright light coming behind it, it's just not as interesting. So you were at all these magazines that are now closed. Did any of them close while you were there, or had you always moved on by then? Well, interestingly, my very first job as a professional was at the Minneapolis Star, and it was one of the very first afternoon papers to shut down in 1983, I think. And it was a huge deal. I was on the cover of the New York Times, as a matter of fact, because it was such a big deal that they came in to photograph the newsroom of us all getting the news that our paper was shutting down. And I remember this so well. This is how I knew I was in the right industry. I'm sitting there on a on a desk, and I can tell that they're taking photographs, and I'm looking around, and everyone's just stunned. They're all just kind of in shock. And I bowed my head and turned a little bit, and I knew that that was going to be a look of someone disappointed and sad and upset, and I was sure enough that was the picture that they took that ended up across the country of the Minneapolis Star shuts down. At the time, it was a really, really big deal. Now it just seems like it happens willy-nilly. So you've got these magazines. They have a circulation now that is not what they were then. Like, what were the numbers, you know, during your heyday. And when and when was the golden age of Claire Connors? Well, well, for me personally, it was about 2007. 2007 was when I started at Shape. So in, the, in terms of the magazine industry, there was a time when, you know, every magazine was selling millions of copies because they were cheap. Subscribing was even less expensive. So back to 17, I don't know what our numbers were because we didn't have to worry about numbers at that point. They were so great that you never no one worried about whether something was selling on newsstand or not it just automatically did 
when I got to Shape Magazine in about 2007, the magazine was sort of on the down downside, and I was able to start booking celebrities and at the time putting a celebrity on a cover really increased the number of shoppers you know picking that up off the newsstand and so my big moment I I still remember it because it was at a time when numbers were really important we put Leanne Rimes on the cover of Shape she hadn't done anything you know in terms of showing her body or a cover anything since she was like 13 so she was newly married 21 she was a workout fanatic and we put her in a bikini, and it sold 450,000 copies, which at the time was a lot for Shape Magazine. The average was probably about 350, so we sold 100,000 more for that issue. And I will never forget that. Everyone, it was almost like they threw a party because, you know, it was just such a big deal. Of course, now Shape, it's lucky if they're selling, you know, 30,000 at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that you were at 17 when it was the only game in town mm-hmm. for teen magazines. But I know that you were at Teen Beat, Tiger Beat, and Sassy. Yeah. Were you poached from 17 for those? Like, How did you leave 17 and go to other teen magazines? One of my proudest moments was when I got fired from 17 magazine. Um, a new editor came in and she just did not like me. And that happens, you know. New editors come in and they get rid of people, especially someone like me, because my job is to... You know, I have to please both sides. Um, I have to please publicists in terms of their their clients, and I have to please my editor. And I had to really walk a fine line. And sometimes I chose the publicist side. You know, I agreed with them if they said, no, I'm, my client is not going to wear a bikini top. You know, um, she'll wear a bikini bottom, but not a bikini top. And then my editor would come back and say, no, she has to wear a full-on bikini. And then I would have to go back and forth massaging everybody's egos up until you finally got to the shoot and prayed that everything worked out. It usually did. Um, Okay, we want to start wrapping up. Mm -hmm. You die. Claire Connors is dead. She's passed. It's, uh, you know, very tragic. Everyone's coming around. There's a picture of you next to the casket. Next to that picture, there's a picture of your greatest magazine cover. What is that cover? That's funny that you should ask that question because I used to joke, my goal, my entire career, and it's still a part of it, even now that I work at Parade Magazine, is to book Jennifer Aniston for a cover. And my joke was always going to be, when it happened, because it will happen someday, my gravestone will read, I booked Jennifer Aniston. But I would say that my favorite cover that I ever booked and it was a shape cover and we booked Sharon Stone and she was 56 at the time oldest woman that had ever been on a shape cover and it sold really well and it was a beautiful cover another iconic kind of cover where she was down on her knees and had one leg stretched out she looked amazing it's one of the sexiest covers that I have ever seen it was very sexy and she was a great interview a really good interview but on the other side of that would be my Winona cover because it was my first and she's my entree into being a a professional booker you know you are a, a triple threat you know you don't just book these covers you write a significant amount of them or you did depending on which job you were at booking 
writing, editing, what's that process like? And do you have one that you prefer? What's the uh, what's the deal there? Well, when I started at 17, I was hired to be the entertainment editor. And the entertainment editor is the writer and the editor of the copy. And my job eventually turned into becoming a booker. So I went from writer-editor to adding in celebrity booking, also known as celebrity wrangler. And I was really comfortable doing that for a long time. And then it got it started to get so complicated to be the the booker that editors wanted to just hire one person to do that. So I kind of had to choose. I was at a fork in the road. Am I going to continue writing and booking and editing or just be a booker? I never really had to end up making that choice. By the time I got to shape, I was a booker and wrote the cover stories. Just at shape alone, I've done, I did 150 covers, booking and writing. So on this show, Under the Covers with Claire Connors, we're going to be talking about everything that goes into making a cover. All those steps, all those people who are involved like what are all the steps? Who are all the people who make that cover come together? Well, one of the things that I think the show is going to achieve is sort of looking under the covers of the creation of a beautiful magazine cover. My goal is to talk to all of the different players in the making of a cover. So I'll talk to other cover bookers and what their job is. I'm going to talk to creative directors and how they design what's going to be on the background of a cover. The fashion stylists, like what what are they going to dress this person in? A lot of elements as to why that's an important aspect of a cover. Same with makeup. Talk to beauty editors. Talk to them about why they have to use specific makeup in, in creating a cover. It's all very political. You don't even think about it when you look at a cover, but there is a reason why there every single thing is on that cover, including the cover lines. So I want to talk to the editors that write the cover lines that surround the body of these beautiful women and men. And I'll be talking to the photographers, photo assistants too, because they also have great stories. It's like everybody, it's a team. It's a real team effort to put together such a beautiful cover. I'm also going to talk about magazine covers that aren't so beautiful and talk about why they fail. We're also going to be talking to people that know a lot about the history of magazines. There are a few writers out there that do amazing books and blogs on the history of magazine covers. And we're going to dig as deep as we can into why those covers are iconic. One of my favorite covers that I've, I still remember as a kid was done by the incredible creative director, George Lois. And I wanted to, I want to do a whole segment just on George Lois and why his covers were so, you know, startling when they came out. And they're still startling. We'll show you what those look like on our Instagram. And we will be able to talk about why certain covers are now historical and iconic. So uh, this is your podcast. Under the Covers with Claire Connors. So even though I've been playing guest host, I think you should sign us out. Okay. It's been wonderful talking to you. You're a very good interviewer, as I always knew that you were. Where can we find all of your wonderful work? Do you have a Twitter account or Instagram? Yeah, yeah. you can find me on Twitter at my name, Zach Wojner, Z-A-K-W-O-J-N-A-R. 
I'm on the Instagram at Zach Woj. You can find my work at uh, ScreenRant.com and uh, MuscleAndFitness.com. Well, thank you, Zach. On the next episode of Under the Covers with Claire Connors, we will be talking to Michelle Shapiro, a fellow celebrity booker who has left the print magazine world and has moved into digital and branding. And we're going to talk about her favorite magazine covers, why she's in the business, and where she thinks magazines are going in the future. In the meantime, this is Claire Connors, and I will see you under the covers right here on jasoncharles.net. You've been listening to Under the Covers with Claire Connors on jasoncharles.net. For more information about Claire Connors, a.k.a. Claire the Celebrity Booker, go to Claire the Celebrity Booker on Instagram. This would be out this month. JasonCharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.